I want to invite your attention to the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, and we want to begin reading there in verse 9, and we'll go down through verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Paul said, These things are those things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me shall have flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know, how, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. This evening for a little while, we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul said various things. In fact, he said the things that are on the board. And then he's going to say something in verse 9, that the things that you have heard, the things that you have learned, and the things that you have seen in me do. He gave us more of an assignment. That's an extension of what we talked about this morning. He gave us things to do. And when he says all of that, then he says that he has learned that regardless of the state he was in, he has learned therewith to be content. And finally he said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We'll talk about these things for a while tonight. Before we do, though, at this time, let us pray. The great thing about the words that Paul records here in our text and in this entire chapter is what Paul is doing is, though he was writing to specific people, these things by divine inspiration are for you and I even today. And the great thing about the things that he said is basically, in essence, he could begin this chapter by saying, whoever or wherever somebody would be, this is a formula for success in living the Christian life. And up until the point of Paul's letter that we're going to talk about tonight, you remember very briefly, this is what he said. He said, be anxious or careful for nothing. But instead of doing that, pray about everything. And you remember this morning, we talked specifically on the type of prayer. The Apostle Paul said, in everything, and that's an absolute, with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Then when you do that, you have further things that you must do if you would understand the assignment that we have to be successful in living the Christian life is to think or meditate on proper things. And if you remember this morning how important it is not only to meditate on serious things and to be very selective about what you meditate upon of spiritual things, that's true and that's good. But remember this morning we talked about even casual contemplation is under consideration. Be very careful of what we allow to go inside and what we think or meditate upon. But you know, we can do everything that Paul has said. We can be anxious for nothing. We can pray about everything. And we can actually sit down on a regular basis and meditate or think upon all the spiritual things that we should but if we don't do what's next, 
Our life is not in accordance with God's will. We will not be successful. We will fail. Because the Apostle Paul continued his discourse, and as all these things are very important, this is equally important, and Paul said this, the things that you have heard, the things that you have seen, the things that you have learned from me, do those things. You know, when we look at the things that are seen in Paul, we find various things that we can learn. For example, the Apostle Paul was one who was always striving. I love this. He was striving for perfection, though he admitted he was not perfect. The Apostle Paul had a great desire to press on, to reach the goal regardless of bonds or regardless of any other obstacle in his way. He described in one place the Christian life as a race, and he said that you must press on for the mark. You must press on for the prize. And you know what else he said? He said it's like this. When I'm going to press on and press on properly for the prize, I am not going to be one that's careless. I'm not going to be one that's just tossed to and fro with no aim whatsoever and no goal whatsoever. You know what he said? He said, I'm not going to live aimlessly. I'm going to bring my body into subjection. And I'm going to be like one that's a boxer that does not go and beat the air and just swing carelessly with no aim. He said, I am going to live the Christian life and I am going to be successful in doing so because it's like a race. I'm going to bring my body into subjection and I'm going to do that which is right and my eye is going to remain on the prize. You know, all of us that teach, sometimes we have little favorite things that we say. And sometimes they find themselves reoccurring when we stand in the pulpit. Just various things that maybe we think about or various things that mean a lot to us. So we try to convey those things. Like one of the things that I love about Terry, uh, one thing that he says that he always says in his lessons or seems to, is he talks about the prize. He talks about keeping your eye on the prize. The Bible talks about if thine eye be single. If we don't keep our eyes fixed on the prize, we are destined for failure. We are going to let up. Listen, I've run in races, and I know maybe some of you have too, but when you're exhausted and you're absolutely in track, they call it hitting the wall. You're exhausted. Lactic acid is now built up in your legs. And listen, if you've ever done that, your legs become like tree trunks. You can't breathe. You've got a pain in your side, and the air going in is burning your lungs. But if you can look up and see the end, if you can look up and see the finish line, somehow, some way, you find a way to reach down deep inside and bring up enough strength to get there and finish. But you know, Paul talked about things like not only is it okay or not only is it required to strive, but Paul said that you must strive lawfully. You know, it's very sad tonight that there are many wonderful people in the world, even right now, as I speak, that are going out and doing something, thinking that they're striving. And they are, but they're not striving lawfully. And if we do not strive lawfully, that does us no good as well. You know, Jesus spoke of this when he pictured the judgment scene. And Jesus said that there's going to be those that are there in attendance that's going to be very surprised. Now, let me just say this. 
in Matthew 25, I don't know for sure whether he's saying this is actually what is going to be said on the day of judgment or these are things that could be said had words been possible to say at that time. I'll tell you what I think and you can take it or leave it as you would. But I know this. I know for sure, there are things that I don't know for sure about the judgment, and you too, but I know for sure it's a day of sentencing. I know that. And I kind of picture in my mind that it's not going to be a lot of discussion. There's not going to be a lot of whole things to say. Jesus Christ, as the righteous judge on his throne, is going to do this and separate the sheep from the goats. Now listen, if we can actually have a discussion farther or beyond when we all bow the knee before Jesus and all confess him and all do that, and we're all going to do that, even you and I, even though we've done it in this life, we're going to do it again. The question is, when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord, the question would be, is it going to do us any good? If the only time that somebody's done that is on that day, they did not strive lawfully. So saying all that, Jesus pictures in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew this scene. And he said, people are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not do many wonderful works? And did we, all, did we not do those things in your name? And Jesus said, I will say unto them, depart from me. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Oh, if we don't strive for the prize like Paul said, then very sadly, we'll be disqualified from the race. You know, we can certainly look to the Apostle Paul as our example today and see that he had great concern for his brethren. That was wonderful as we look at the example of Paul. You know, Paul was one that didn't stand for things that were wrong. He stood against things that were wrong. He stood strong and he stood firm. And there was a time that he had to even rebuke Peter. You remember Peter? He rebuked him to his face because Peter would not eat with the Gentiles. And Peter, of all people, of all men, should have known that the Gentiles were accepted in God's fold because he was the one that received the vision. He was the one when the great sheet on four corners fell down and all manner of beasts were on it. And Peter, in this vision, when he was hungry, he heard the word of the Lord say, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. He said, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the Bible says that the Lord said, what I have cleansed or what I have considered, okay, let no man call common or unclean. Oh, of all people. And when he went and saw that the Holy Spirit came to those, those uh, uh, Gentiles in the household of Cornelius, Peter should have known better. But Peter made a mistake. And Paul withstood him to the face. Oh, he loved his brethren, though. He stood for what was right, but he loved his brethren. What a wonderful example that he is. He was one who was constantly making mention of certain ones in his prayers. He was one that also said one time, I thank God always on your behalf. You know, wouldn't it have been great to have been on the list, the prayer list of the Apostle Paul, because he spoke of it so often, and he spoke of all of those that he mentioned in prayer. You know, when we look to the example of Paul, may we always also follow his example with, with reference to his concern for those that are lost. Notice what he says. He's not only saying that this is a job for me to do that's been given to me. This is a task 
that I've been given to do, a charge that I must keep. He takes it even further, and notice what Paul said with regards to his uh, understanding of what it was for him to do in preaching the gospel. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. He said, I am a debtor. He said, I am indebted to do this. You know, a debt is something that we have to pay. When I choose to do something, that's different. I can choose to do various things in my life. Paul is saying, this is not a choice. I am a debtor. He said, I am indebted. I am, in, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What an example it is for, for, uh, that we look to the life of Paul and look to the teachings of Paul and the example of Paul as one that was indebted to preach the gospel and follow those efforts to save those that are lost. Oh, if we could only have the joy in the suffering that the Apostle Paul was able to do and actually could rejoice in tribulation like he spoke of from time to time. What if we could actually do this? What if we can be in bonds like Paul? We can be in bonds waiting an impending trial that's going to end up inevitably, quite possibly, and he knew this, in his own execution, but listen, to live in such a way, have a faith that is such that he could say that regardless of whatever state that I am in, it makes no difference, even in the bonds that I am currently in right now, I am content. Now, you know, he never said, I'm just so happy in all the trials of life. He didn't say, man, I'm really enjoying this. No, he says, I am content in this. More on that in just a moment. You know what he's saying is, he's saying the idea of being content. Contentment defined is the follows. It is desiring no more than what one has. It comes from the Greek word archeo, which means simply to be satisfied. The idea is that when one is content, he is satisfied with what he has with no desire for more. Covetousness no longer becomes a problem. And that's really what he's speaking of. In just a moment, Paul is going, we're going to talk about how Paul spoke of covetousness. And what he's saying is this, as covetousness is a problem and covetousness is a sin, being content is the antidote for such a sin. Exactly the same thing as praying about everything is the antidote for being anxious. He's giving us a formula and a pattern to be successful. He was not saying, go out there and living the Christian life and be poor. He was not saying, go live in a tent somewhere. He was not saying, don't ever buy something that's in this world that we, we would consider things or uh, frills or whatever. Let me just say this. I am not saying that there's anything wrong with things. When we speak of contentment, Paul is not saying, don't ever aspire for one thing more. He's not saying that either. The problem is, though, is covetousness when we covet things of this world. And we covet them above what we should. 
and our seeking and following after them becomes a mission that we absolutely are derailed from our spiritual Christian walk of life in the pursuit of such, that becomes an idol right then and there. And it could be a $1 bill. It doesn't have to be making millions. It can be something very small. But if it's not spiritual minded, it's not the word of God, it's not following after the Christian life, it's anything that derails us, that becomes an idol and idolatry is a sin. That's what he's talking about. I don't think there's one thing in the world wrong with going out and earning a living. I don't think, in fact, the Bible says we have to. I don't think there's one thing in this whole world wrong with, with me going out and trying to earn a little extra money so I might be able to provide a little better for my family or even have, provide some enjoyment in my family. I don't think that's wrong either. That's not the point. You remember, sometimes this is misquoted or misapplied. You remember when Jesus, we've talked about when Jesus spoke to the rich fool, when he spoke to him, and I'm not going to talk about that now. We've spoke about that very recently. But do you remember when Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler? You remember what the rich young ruler asked Jesus before he told him what to do? He came to him and he wants to know, would you just give me the one thing? Give me the thing. Can you give me the thing just the thing, one thing, what do I need to do? One thing, to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you. You go out and take all your possessions and you sell all of them. You get the money together and you take all that money and you give it to the poor. Then you take up your cross and you follow me. Bible says, and we know Jesus was right in examining this man's heart because the Bible says he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus knew the one thing that he had to get rid of because he was guilty of coveting these things. It wasn't his wealth. Oh no, it wasn't his wealth at all. When Jesus spoke of the rich fool, it wasn't his wealth either. In fact, if you look at that parable, you know what he is? This man actually sitting down, he is looking out over all he has. He's planning for his retirement. We call that a good steward, don't we? Absolutely. One problem. This night, thy soul shall be required of thee. In all his plans, God was not in any one of them. That's the point. He must be first. And all the things that we see in Paul, all the things that he has taught, we must do and apply in our life. Because Paul said, when after he said all of these things, he gives himself as an example of regardless of whatever he has gone through, whatever state he's in, he is content. And that was something that he learned. The Apostle Paul is giving us this formula, and if we do this, we will never be guilty of covetousness. Do you remember in the, the Apostle Paul in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, where he began the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, and you know that I believe that the writer of Hebrews is, in fact, the Apostle Paul. He says four things in four verses, and then he's going to say the fifth thing in the fifth verse. Really quickly, this is what he says, four things in four verses. He begins the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, writing to Hebrew brethren. Number one, he said, let brotherly love continue. Secondly, show love toward strangers. Thirdly, remember those that are in prison and others who are mistreated. And number four, he says, hold fast, fast or hold forth the marriage in honor and abstain from fornication and adultery. You see, in verse 4, 
he's talking about the lust of the flesh. But in verse 5, he talks about the other things that are equally wrong. He talks about the lust of the eyes or coveting material things. Paul said, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All of these things are contrary to the love of the Father. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know, covetousness, I wonder tonight, I, I do, I wonder tonight. I know there are folks that have done all they could, but... There are extenuating circumstances. I know that, and I know we talk about this. In fact, folks, I've been trying to come up with maybe a different plan or a different way to go about it. Because I'll tell you something, there are folks that hear what God's Word says with regards to their priorities and with regards to worship. And for some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why it goes in one ear and goes out the other, and they just, well, let it go. I just wonder this. I wonder how many people, even among our number here, that don't have two nickels to rub together, but are guilty of covetousness, have chosen something else to fix their attention on instead of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, folks, if that's the case, that's not going to get it. Paul said, what you see and learn and hear in me, do. You know, I know people have various things and struggles in their life. I really know that. I understand that. I do. But I'm also convinced that the days, of, the days gone by are gone by. The days when preachers used to be able to stand up and scare people with the word of God, it's gone. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that people aren't afraid of what the word of God says anymore. And I'm not talking about everyone. I'm talking about a lot of people. There's a lot of folks that hear some hard preaching and walk right out the door and it doesn't have any effect on them at all. I don't know. I know one thing though, folks. We got to figure out some way to tell them. We really do. And I just wonder how it is, even those among our number here that have just chosen other paths and other things. Well, the Apostle Paul says, if you are content... Really, by definition, he's saying you will never be guilty of covetousness because, by definition, to be content is to be satisfied with all that you have and your pursuit of more is not there. I want to notice with you the, va the value of contentment, first of all, from the pen of uninspired men. Even the world knows this about being content. Socrates said, He is richest who is content with the least. William Shakespeare said, he is well paid that is well satisfied. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, he who is content can never be ruined. Another man said, the contented man is never poor, but the discontented is never rich. And the Apostle Paul, here is a divinely inspired man. He wrote to the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and 6, he said, listen, 
that godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what he says is great gain? He says, here's what's great gain. Godliness with contentment. That tells me the flip side of that, that godliness without contentment is of no value. Godliness with contentment is great gain. These things are expressed by the Apostle Paul. The idea of contentment was exemplified by Fanny Crosby. Many of you know that name. Fanny Crosby was a blind, a blind songwriter, and she wrote these words. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I would be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. We see contentment exemplified by Helen Keller, someone that was blind, deaf, mute, and she wrote these words. They took away what should have been my eyes, but I remembered Milton's paradise. They took away what should have been my ears, and Beethoven came and wiped away my tears. They took away what should have been my tongue, but I talked with God when I was young. He would not let them take away my soul, possessing that I still possess the whole. Oh, and lastly, and certainly not least, we find contentment exemplified in someone far greater than these, and that was the aged great apostle Paul when he was in bonds, and he said that even in his imprisonment there was good that was done. What a great attitude. You ever met folks with a great attitude? I have. Isn't it true? The ones that really don't have it all that bad usually are the ones that complain the most. I've seen that. Maybe you have too. But then in every crowd, there's always a little sister that's just plodding along. There's a brother, and they really have problems, but you never hear about it. You never hear about it because they're too busy. They're too busy serving others. They're too busy being content in whatever state that they're in. They're too busy setting their affections on things above that the things of this world just pale in comparison and they do not matter. But it always seems like the folks that complain the most are the ones that do the least. Well, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14, he said, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that in the things which happened unto me, they've fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, get this, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He was looking at his life in a miserable condition, in bonds, in fear, in anxiety, and all that. All that was in his face, all that was before him, and yet he said this, this is good because others have looked to my example and now they're not afraid and they're speaking boldly the gospel. He saw the good even through his own imprisonment. But remember, this is easier said than done. We understand that. And Paul said that contentment was something that he learned. The question is, before you and I tonight, as we uh, wrap up our study, is what then can we do? What do we do in order to learn about God's providential care? 
What do we do so that we can learn about how we can be content regardless of whatever state that we are in? First of all, and first and foremost, we must never lose sight of the fact that we have faith in a God that has providential care over every single one of us. And God is not going to leave his post. He is not going to leave his side. He's going to be there as our refuge. In fact, God never leaves man until man leaves him. If we never leave God, he will never leave us. And we understand in God's providential care that God is going to be there for us. And we have faith and we have trust in that. He's going to be our helper. You know, this is exactly what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said these words about God's providential care. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not the life more than the meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast out of the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day, is the evil thereof. You know, if God can clothe the flowers and the grass of the field, and in his providential care through nature can take care of things that are kind of insignificant, surely he can take care of our needs too. Surely he can supply every single thing that we need. And Jesus says, O ye of little faith, don't worry about that. Because if you do your part and you seek first the kingdom and you go out there and work with your hands, you can't be lazy and lay on the couch and hope everything works, works out. No, we do our part and God takes care of the rest. True contentment, though, comes when we realize or learn what is really valuable and really important. Now listen to me. I am not downplaying responsibilities in our life. I'm not saying that. But folks, when we have contentment, when we learn that, we don't learn that until we are able to figure out what really is important. You know, when we're younger, I'm not picking on young folks, because guess what? I was right there with you. I was right there just as ignorant as can be. What happens when we're young? You know, like the man said one time, love and youth is wasted on the young. They don't understand what they have. 
And sometimes when we're young, we're just all over the place. We're thinking about all manner of things. But I'll tell you this. I've learned some things, and I know you have too. And when we sit down and factor in and figure out what really is important, then every other thing in the world is not very important to us then. Not really. You know, aside from my soul and aside from serving the Lord and all that's entailed in that, aside from that, there's only one thing else in my life that is really of greater value. And that's my little three. That's my little family. You know when you come to realize that what they really mean to you? I tell you, for me, I love to go preach. I really do. But I hate being away from home. I really do. And whenever I'm detached from them, man, it's like a big strobe light of what they mean to me. And I got to thinking about this just today. If the number one important thing in my life is my soul, and the number two important thing in my life is my family, what else is there? I mean, really, what else? Have you ever seen a hearse with a U-Haul trailer hooked up behind it? You never have. You know why? Because materially speaking, it's the end of the line. Here's that undertaker, and he's going to take that casket, and he's going to drop you down. And guess what? Everything you've acquired, everything that you have, every material thing you have in your life and ever have made, it will not matter to you at that point in time. The only thing that's going to matter is what state your soul's in, and that's it. You're content when you understand about priorities. I talked about being away from home. Being away from home is not a location to me. Being away from home is being away from them. You know, that tells me this. That tells me I have two great jobs. That's it. Of all the responsibility that I will ever have in my life, I have two jobs that are of great value. Everything else pales in comparison. Number one, number one, I got to get myself to heaven. I have to have my soul saved. That's number one. Number two, I have to succeed with them. That's it. Wouldn't it be awful to fail at one or both of them? I mean, that's all that really matters. I understand my responsibility as a husband and father. I don't want to fail at that. But I'll tell you this. If my responsibilities and the things that I do take me away from what should be first in my life, these little guys are watching. They're watching everything that we say and everything that we do. They are following us. How are we doing? We succeeding or are we failing? Contentment comes, folks, when you sit down and you realize over the years of all that you've uh, gone through or whatever it is, and you look out and see what's truly important, and you focus on those things. And you know, this whole world can take every single thing, every single thing away that we have in our life. Oh, it might hurt and sting, but it won't matter if we've done our job right, and when they lay us down and we take that slow ride in that hearse and they lay our bodies down, it's not the end of the line for our soul. And on the morning of the resurrection, we get to go and be with Jesus and be with God in heaven, then none of those things will ever matter. Finally, Paul said, he said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. 
Have you ever heard somebody say, I have, I remember, in fact, I remember specifically a quarterback for the Rams when they won a Super Bowl, and they interviewed him, and he said this. They said, how'd you do it? How'd you win the game? And he said, well, this is a beautiful team that God has put together for this occasion, for this purpose, to accomplish his will and his purpose. And Jesus said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Is that what Paul was talking about? Jesus doesn't care about a ball game. He doesn't care about a sporting event. He doesn't care about any of that. He cares about people living in accordance with his will. That's what he cares about. And if we'll do our part, Paul said that there's strength that we have that comes from the Lord to do it. That's the best saying. We have strength that only comes from the Lord to do all the things that Paul had said. And when we look at the things that Paul had said to do, they might seem very difficult. And Paul is summing the whole thing up. Don't worry. I've learned all these things. This is what you're going to do to be successful. Do what I said. Do what you've learned. I've learned to be content. I'm in prison. But don't worry. Because whatever you go through, you'll be just like me. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's a tremendous blessing, folks. That really is. Finally, in conclusion, even though Paul is telling us that we must work out our own salvation, and he taught that, we're not left alone to do so. In Philippians chapter 2, and verses 12 and 13, Paul said, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Christian is promised the necessities of life. That's true. But folks, look at the abundance of spiritual blessings. We're not promised an abundance of physical or material things, but we are promised what really is valuable. And if our heart is on what it should be and our treasure is laid up in heaven, it won't matter. You know why? Because the treasure we're going to get and the place we're going to go is far greater than all the money in the world. And none of that matters. So what's he saying? He said what Jesus was saying. Okay, you're taken care of. Do these things. It's all that matters. All that matters in your life. And man, is there blessings over there, and you're going to get every one of them. You're going to have a mansion in heaven. You're going to walk on a street of gold. You're going to have all of these wonderful blessings, and they won't just be here and there. It's an abundance of them. But don't worry, too. I know you've got to earn a living. I know you've got to support your family. Put God first. Do your part. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Lay your treasure up in heaven. And God will provide the rest. That's reassuring to a Christian. That really is. Remember this morning, though. Remember this morning when I said that meditation is imperative to renewing the mind. And a person cannot really stay transformed if they stop renewing their mind. That's why when we hear in God's word certain things, we need to keep hearing it. When we read things in God's word, we need to keep reading it. Why? Why is that? Because in meditating upon these things, we are constantly renewing our mind. There's enough distraction out there, folks. We need the word of God in our life. That's all I have tonight.
We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.